Admit, here we go. Alrighty. Hello, hello. Hello. Hey, Simon here. Hi, how are you doing? Hey, guys. Good. How are you? Coronavirus NZ, a daily stuff podcast. Welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Friday the 1st of May. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the headlines, some of the more unusual things about this global crisis, and then focus on one particular topic. Today, something a little different. So we've changed our format a bit, but first we need to deal with some pretty great emails that come into our inbox, viruspod at stuff.co.nz. First up, an incredibly swift answer to our romance question from yesterday. Remember that Diana Leach, an American who's in a long-distance relationship with a Kiwi, said she'd been trying to find out if her partner could join her during her two-week quarantine if and when she can fly out to New Zealand to see him. Sort of conjugal quarantine, if you like. She asked us if we knew if that would be okay, and we didn't know, but we asked if anyone out there listening knew. And someone did. We got an email pretty much straight away, from Cameron. Now, Cameron is the partner of Alison Perkins, who is the Kiwi Australian whose voice memo we played from Mexico just yesterday. You remember, she was just about to head back to New Zealand now after having got stuck in Mexico during a diving trip. Okay, is that all clear? So Cameron says, no, Diana Leach, joining your loved one when they're in quarantine is, quote, not possible, sorry. Alison is going into quarantine and I can't see her for two weeks. Sad face emoji. Helpfully, Cameron also sent us the relevant part from the Ministry of Health website about quarantine conditions, which includes this line, quote, friends and family members may not visit or drop off items to travellers in these facilities. So, sorry, Diana, maybe not every avenue is completely closed, but it doesn't sound promising. Next up in the inbox, Dave Collett wanted to comment about our thoughts on racism. In particular, the issue that had been raised where a courier had signed for an Asian customer's parcel with the words COVID-19. This was an example of complaints to the Human Rights Commission about anti-Asian racism since the pandemic started. Dave says, Just wanted to comment that I've had a few couriers sign COVID-19 while delivering things, presumably as a reason for me not signing myself. I'm a Pākehā Southlander living in Wellington, so I don't think it's due to my ethnicity. I don't doubt that there is some racist sentiment out there, just that some of it maybe isn't intended as such. Thanks, Dave. I guess the HRC will have to figure that one out. And finally, a response to our successful... Can we call it successful? Where's the flower investigation? I mean, it's not surprising that it's drawn a response. It's it's the kind of deep-diving, intrepid journalism that this podcast is building a reputation for. But anyway, we've got this email from Sarah Wakefield, and she writes... As a follow-up to your hard-hitting Where's the Flower investigation, note that cream of tartar has also been out of stock since the Level 4 lockdown began. Obviously, home Play-Doh production has also gone through the roof. Bring on daycare reopening. So, cream of tartar, eh? And we'd already heard whispers about yeast and about baking powder. And I've just remembered this moment that I tried to buy some icing sugar earlier this week and there was none on the shelf. So... What's going on? Well, I did hear back from Countdown. They confirmed our investigation's conclusions, and they said they're working with existing supplies and new ones, and people should expect to see the shelves fully stocked again soon. So that was flour you were asking them about. What did they say about cream of tartar and sure-baked yeast and baking powder? Well, I did ask about other baking products. I didn't specify cream of tartar, sorry. But on those matters, they were silent. Told you. There's still more to this than meets the eye. Right, 
Later on the show, an extended interview with National Party leader Simon Bridges. There was a lot to ask him about, from the political to the personal, and yes, he talks about that Facebook post. But first, what's happened today? Another single-figure addition to the case numbers. Three new cases to report today. And 85% of all cases are now classified as recovered. We've also learnt that three Waitakere Hospital staff in Auckland have tested positive for COVID-19. They worked on a ward where patients from St Margaret's Hospital and Rest Home were transferred. The DHB says protective equipment was available to and worn by staff on the ward. And the government is offering small firms zero and low interest loans to get through the crisis. They say the banks haven't done enough. So, our interview with Simon Bridges, we put in a request a couple of weeks back now that he's been tied up, you know, a bit busy, things like the Epidemic Response Committee and things. Anyway, we got a chance to talk to him late yesterday. We arranged a Zoom call and got him to record the audio at his end as well, so we'd have slightly better sound quality. So, when we came to stitch the three tracks together earlier today, we heard a little moment from before the Zoom call connected. I guess he was just double-checking with his press secretary who he was about to talk to. Adam and Eugene. Yep. Eugene. What did he say? Can you play it again? Eugene. He said, Eugene. And I really like that. I'm calling you Eugene from now on. Don't you dare. Anyway, Mr Bridges was ready to go and we were ready to go. So away we went. Simon Bridges, welcome to the show. G'day, guys. Good to be with you. Thank you. Let's wind the clock back a bit. Do you recall where you were, you know, what you were doing the first time you heard the word coronavirus? It was January uh, because I recall back then, um, this is so sort of told you so-ist, but that there was, this was going to be very significant. And uh, ringing a National's Health spokesperson, Michael Woodhouse, about it. And, uh, you know, I think, I think at the time, the, the people I was talking to thought I was a bit dramatic about it, but um, it certainly proved to be um, very dramatic. Yeah, it sure has, because it, it, it did ramp up pretty quickly, didn't it? So I was sort of wondering, as opposition leader, is there a point where you're sort of called into an underground bunker or something and told, look, this is serious and this is what we're going to, you know, this is what's going to be happening? How does it work? No, not really. I mean, if if you think in contrast to other very big events in the last couple of years, like March the 15th, I remember uh, being in a meeting with small businesses and my phone kept going. You know, it was the um, uh, director of the SIS and then it was prime minister. And I remember then being call, called into, you know, these you know significant phone calls. With this one, of course, because it's been more um, iterative, and, you know, it, it's dawned on people in different ways. It hasn't quite been like that. But I certainly had, you know, several phone calls with the Prime Minister. I've obviously been talking with um, the likes of uh, the Director General, Ashley Bloomfield, and the committee uh, that, I'm, that I'm chairing and so on. But there's been no one big uh, light bulb moment or moment where I'm in the bunker um, as Leader of the Opposition part of the decision-making process. Right. You, you mentioned those phone calls with the Prime Minister, and, and when we spoke to her, she told us that, you guys were in, in in phone contact because you know partly because there was no parliament. That must be a bit of a, a strange feeling, as it were, as you know, talking to each other like that. Jacinda Ardern and I, um, you know, know each other well, but often only talk on these sort of occasions, and uh, so that's a 
that's a strange sort of a thing. I mean, my first preference was was that Parliament would remain, and and it didn't. And then we got the uh, COVID nineteen committee as a sort of a uh, compromise, if you like. But it's gone incredibly well, and, and now actually we are just back in Parliament, but in greatly reduced numbers, and and that's good. I just wanted to stay in the past for a little bit longer. So we've just had Professor Tears Gorman um, saying in the last day that New Zealand was caught with its pants down, as it was his dramatic phrase. So what, if anything, would you have done differently since January if you'd been Prime Minister? Perhaps if you could step us through all the different points where you'd have pulled the levers and maybe put the train on a different track. Not very out of disrespect for your question, but I don't want to spend a huge amount of time going backwards because I think as leader of the opposition, it... um, you know, it's it's not massively productive. I suppose what I could say to you in, in short, though, is I do think in due course when, you know, the book or books are written about this, um, if they look back at what the National Party said in our press releases and our comments, we were um, we were a bit ahead of the, um, the the game, if you like. We 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 called for actions um, generally well before um, they were taken. And, you know, for example, we were talking about January, I remember uh, both myself and Michael Woodhouse being criticised for coming out and on a Sunday afternoon having a press conference uh, on the tiles, as they're called, at Parliament, um, effectively saying this is really serious, Um, there needs to be a cabinet committee on this, Um, why isn't there? And, yeah, as I say, getting some flack on that. But, of course, that then happened a wee bit after that. And so on borders, testing, tracing, PPE, the things that matter, I think we've been there for them. Um, but, you know, we are where we are. Actually, health-wise, um, I think New Zealand's come through this incredibly well. And so the question for the future really is, you know, around, I think, a lot of the economic ramifications and how we get New Zealand working again. Exactly. So looking at the future rather than the past, what day would you like to see us move to level two? I'm tempted to say now, um, uh, and and I suppose um, that's that's what my instinct tells me. I, I think we can do it safely and sooner than later. So whether it's now, whether it's sort of um, iteratively in a, in a little while, I, I certainly am impatient for it. And that's and that's really for a couple of reasons. One, um, I do think the medicine is is becoming or probably has become worse than the disease in a health sense. You know, we've got people missing out on major procedures. We've got uh, a bunch of other accumulating health issues. So you've got to balance all that economically, of course, as well. Um, The social and economic costs of people coming out of jobs. And, um, you know, we've seen today uh, farmers uh, lay off 160 people. That's really significant. And then secondly, I just look at Australia. Overall, health-wise, they have done as well as us, particularly if you you factor out the... um, the, the cruise ship stuff that they have had, but they have managed to be much freer economically and keep businesses going and workers and jobs. And now they're having conversations around the social distancing. And in fact, in some states, they are getting back to boot camps with instructors to open homes for real estate agents. And I see even um, the Prime Minister talking about sports uh, and events um, starting up again in due course. So I, I am very keen to see us get back to in quotes, uh, are normal uh, to the extent we can because we have done so well um, health-wise. I mean, how would you get New Zealand back to normal? Well, first let's deal with health. I think what you do health-wise is what we've done. 
You keep at the stuff that matters, and we know what st- the stuff that matters. It's the things that experts from, you know, um, Professor David Skegg through to Ashley Bloomfield have talked about borders, testing, tracing, PPE, and, and as social distancing, although, you know, we could have a conversation about how that exactly um, looks. Then from there, I, I reckon it's in um, three phases that we get New Zealanders working in. Firstly, getting out of lockdown as soon as possible. I, I think, you know, this has gone on too long. Secondly, then looking at how we stimulate the economy and how we operate productively. Um, that could be handled really badly or really well. And, you know, obviously I'm... I, I want to see it handled well. To me, that's about having some pragmatic rules, being agile, yep, having swift testing and PPE, but making sure we're regaining momentum. And then finally, look, asking ourselves, how do we position NZ to success in a post-COVID world longer term? I don't want to see that being done by some sort of Wellington committee. I want to see, um, whilst there's a critical role for government, us um, really unleashing the private sector to get back and do what it does uh, so we are creating businesses and innovation and uh, new jobs. Sure. Would you like to see the election delayed? No, but I suppose having said no, it's sort of a bit too soon to say in, in a way. If we were to stay in three and that sort of near a lockdown position for too much longer, certainly it becomes a realistic, and obviously already it's a realistic question to ask and answer, but my preference is 19 September, Albeit I acknowledge, you know, um, I've been talking with my party president, Peter Goodfellow. We've got problems with things like, can we have a national party conference, an annual conference? Can we have a campaign launch? Are we allowed to have candidates out there holding public meetings and door knocking? So the longer we delay normality, I, I acknowledge your question becomes a better and better one. It's, it's often said to be the, the worst job in politics, but that must be even more so now when there's an enormous one-sided spotlight of attention on your opponent. And, you know, for five weeks there wasn't even any parliament. How do you breathe? I often say the worst jobs in New Zealand, um, depending on how the, the you know we're all going, is um, or uh, Fonterra, chief executive, um, all Blacks coach and leader of the opposition. And so you can sort of take your, your pick, although I'm guessing I'm the worst paid of those three. I'm not complaining, though. You know, and a lot of people are doing it sort of sort of tough. It might seem the wrong thing to say, kind of, but I've really enjoyed some of the, ro- the role I've had um, as leader of the opposition through this. I've found um, chairing the um, epidemic response or the, the, the COVID-19 committee really satisfying, personally, and I think we have definitely helped... Uh, the nation's response um, be improved from where it may have otherwise been. So I'm not. I'm certainly not complaining. And, and there certainly was some really interesting stuff came out of that committee. For a while, it was you know almost an alternative to Parliament, or it was. And our colleague Thomas Coughlin has said, in, in some ways, it seemed a lot more constructive than all the shouting and noise of Parliament. What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a bit of truth in that. You know, if you get past the Zoom technical issues that, you know, one or two of us have had and some of those things, um, there's been a few things about it that have been amazing. We we haven't had to just be asking ministers and politicians what we each think, right? We've actually been able to go out to the likes of um, Sir David Skegg or Peter Gluckman or um, a business owner who's doing it tough and get real... Um, 
people telling real stories, if, if you like. And that's that's been that's been awesome. Secondly, because it's not that question time format with you know rules and a speaker and all of that hoopla. Um, it, 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 I suppose it hasn't been as um, much of a show or as political. Um, it's been more, uh, if you want to put it this way, genuine. And so I think those two things have have been really, really good. You talked about hearing from ordinary people and you mentioned in your speech when Parliament returned on Tuesday about a baker in your electorate who, who doesn't want to be a sacrificial lamb. I'm not expecting you to name names if that, that person doesn't want you to, but can you tell us a bit more? Is it is it someone you know and have they been particularly hard hit? Yeah, and I suppose, you know, what I would say is um, that husband and wife, their story literally could be replicated by thousands of others. I've latched onto it because I've now told it a few times and so it's sort of easy to to keep talking about um, the bakers. Um, I, I can tell you they're in Bethlehem, Tauranga. Uh, you know, I won't name them. I don't have permission to do that. But, you know, what they said is that uh, they understand the importance of COVID-19. So they're not disputing the lockdown, right, and what, what has been. And, you know, they, they like a lot of New Zealanders are proud of that. But they feel like in the national good, you know, as we've had this government-led lockdown, they are bearing a disproportionate brunt and pain from it than other New Zealanders. And they say that because, you know, they're not allowed to operate, they have all these costs, and that's sending them backwards. And they, they were, I'm, I'm sure they were in their email to me, actually emails now, um, grateful for the wage subsidy. That's been excellent, right? It's been excellent for their staff. But they've got to keep paying rent and rates and all these other costs. And as I say, they feel like they're that sacrificial lamb, if you like, in the COVID-19 response. And at our committee, we heard from a bunch of other people, um, a guy called Reg Hennessy, m- many others who told, I think, very similar kinds of stories. So it's a, it's a real um, thing, if you like. Mm, you've talked about that. And you've also talked about comparisons with overseas. And I was sort of wondering, are you talking with any political allies abroad? Have you communicated with, say, Scott Morrison or, or Boris Johnson, albeit from his hospital bed, maybe? Yeah, actually, no. I mean, it's a great question. And, um, um, you know, maybe it's something I should should seek to do. Or who I have talked to is one or two opposition leaders in the state system in Australia. And it is really interesting comparing notes with, you know, how they're going. want to shift to some personal stuff. Who's been in your bubble and and how has life in your bubble been? Well, my bubble has involved, I suppose, my usual bubble, um, my, my wife, Natalie, uh, who's a star, and um, my kids, Emlyn, Harry and Jemima. And, um, you know, that has been fantastic, but, you know, at times character building, I think, for all of us. It's also involved my father-in-law, Taff, who's a Welshman from the UK and who um, got stuck out here. And I think it was a line call from when the, the British High Commission was sending people back, uh, whether he went or not, but he's decided to stick it out. Uh, so that is that is our bubble. And of course, I've been in that uh, unusual situation of also being in Parliament. And down here, really, it's effectively just been me uh, with one or two staff members. So poor old Taff. So he, he was out here visiting, was he? And he's he's got stranded. Poor old Taff. He's done all right. Look, let me put it this way. My wine collection <laughs> is much smaller than it once was. <laughs> Fair enough. So 
Look, you've, you mentioned that drive. You've been driving, what is it, 500 k's or something between Tauranga and Wellington every week. That, that must be a drag. How, how do you pass time? You know, a bit of music, uh, you know, a few podcasts and um, actually some beautiful scenery. Um, the Rangitiki yeah. um, and driving through there um, around both coming into and out of um, Taihapi is a credibly beautiful country. Got to ask you, I'm not expecting any favours, but what, what podcasts have you been listening to? <laughs> well, this, there's some very good ones on stuff. I am, as you may um, appreciate, a politics geek, so I do listen to a lot of politics. I listen to, um, I think it, it's it's one of the longest standing radio shows ever in the world, the BBC Week in Westminster. Literally, COVID's been the only time since 1928 or something it hasn't been going but anyway but I've been listening to a bit of that and a few other BBC ones are the sort of the main ones that I listen to. When you do get time have you been watching any any TV you know we've been binging on on box sets and so on uh, Adam got through Ozark you've been had time for that? No I've never watched Ozark but that, that tends to be a, when I get home on a Thursday evening with Natalie maybe with just one glass of single malt uh, a bit of net, Netflix the one I've been watching um, that I did enjoy was um, Sunderland Till I Die. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. About football team, yeah. I would I would recommend yeah. that. Um, and the other one that we have just finished was so good that I cannot remember what it is. That's quite all right. I'm, what I'm more interested in is which particular single malt do you have when you're watching this? Um, my wife has got us a Glenn something. It's not Glenn Fittick. <laughs> Glenlivet's quite good. Well, it might be Glenlivet, and it is, it's, um, if I can just be a sort of a, sound like more of a connoisseur than I am, it's 18 years old, so it's very good. You grew up in Te Atatū, which has been the centre of one of the deadly clusters at St Margaret's Residential Care. Did that make it feel like COVID-19 was a bit close to home for you? I think it is close to home. I think probably all New Zealanders feel that way, in a sense, whether you've been personally involved, you know, because you've known someone, you far know what wider circle that's been caught up in it. That's by virtue of the lockdown and the fact that we've all had the sense that we are in a team effort. We are all in this together. I mean it's it's been so unusual, hasn't it? Let's acknowledge in a way, um, and I and I don't say this sort of um lightly and I wouldn't want it to be taken out of context or none of us would sort of have wanted this to happen. But there have been some good things about COVID-19 as much as you do. You hear a lot of people talking about the family time they've had. My kids and I have um, uh, rekindled an enjoyment of Monopoly and uh, that's been really cool. There have been some sort of silver linings, I think, out of this, albeit I do think we're now heading to the the tougher time, um, certainly economically, and that's you know very much what I've been focused on in the last little while. Monopoly can go one of two ways within a family, can't it? But um, certainly I think... <laughs> With the board being thrown up, not by me. Risk is dangerous too, I've but got to say. That's true. Yeah. Oh, risk is a fantastic game. Look, speaking of, of community and getting through this, I mean, you're a man of faith. Have you prayed about COVID-19 and what's happening to the world? I don't know if I've prayed about COVID, but, you know, you say I am a Christian and that's an important uh, part of, of my life. I remember my wife telling me about um, actually on talkback and some people give talkback a very hard time, um, but I'm not one of them. You know, a really interesting discussion with a, a chaplain about all of this. And the discussion was, you know, why have we got this? You know, doesn't this show that God um, 
uh, is a bad God for, you know, bringing these things and letting these ha- things happen. You know, certainly not a view I take. I don't think this is something that um, uh, God, God would want. And, um, you know, I think, I, I think uh, it is good that people of faith um, are praying about these things and coming together, as I understand it, not, not uh, literally because of level four and level three, but I understand churches all over New Zealand and other faiths as well are coming together virtually in ways like this and praying and singing and so on. I think that's fantastic. Uh, we've got to talk about that Facebook post of April 20 where you criticised the extension of, of the Level 4 lockdown. So, look, there was a pretty big backlash to that. Do you feel you got it wrong? You know, I don't. Um, and uh, I, I don't want to, again, play lightly with these things because, um, you know, I don't think there's a need um, to be belligerent about it. But, you know, what I was expressing there, and I still take the view of is that this is going on too long. I want to get New Zealand working again safely and sooner than uh, than later. I've been part at a number of times of moving the conversation on to where it's um, where it's needed to go. And, and I still see that role for myself and the National Party through this very difficult time. Even if what you said was reasonable, that kickback, which was, you know, many tens of thousands of, of critical comments on, on Facebook suggested that a lot of people weren't liking your tone. Isn't that a problem for you politically, even if you still stand by the content? I just think, you know, we've flattened the curve. We don't need to flatten the country. You know, we, 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 we've got to get on to a discussion today, having done a really good job on health, about the other curve that matters, which is a growth curve, a jobs curve, back to new normality. Just a small thing, you've, you've said in this conversation the medicine is worse than the disease. For a few days there you were saying the medicine is worse than the cure. Well, how did that come about? What, what was the story with that? I feel like you and I both hopefully knew what I was meaning. You, you know, um, whilst I, I, I think on Morning Report and one or two other places I, I could have um, got the exact phrase perfect, you, you know what I'm talking about, and that is in a health way um, – there are many harms from staying in lockdown or near lockdown. Economically, as we see 7,000 more go on to the dole queue each week and those numbers are growing, you've also got those problems. So, you know, getting back to growth and jobs and attract to normality um, is incredibly important. But, look, you're not wrong. I, I, should, I should probably get my, um, my ancient phrases um, better. When Level 3 arrived, how did you celebrate? Go on, be honest, was it Macca's? Level three, well, you know, I, I, I'm trying to think what I was, what day was that? Tuesday. <laughs> oh, I tell you what, I, I my friend and colleague, Rachel Morton, um, because we were in a parliament, went out and bought me a takeaway coffee and it was amazing. And since that time, <laughs> I've given her 30 bucks and um, every day, uh, on her uh, tour of duty to get a takeaway coffee is getting me one as well. During this show, we've been playing a plague playlist, usually suggestions from from listeners of, of songs that are sometimes parodies of, of other songs with a COVID twist. Sometimes it's songs that have a, a, a COVID shadow, if you like, when you look back at them now. Have you got a contribution for our plague playlist? How about, um, given that the medicine is better than the cure or something like that. The cure, anything by the cure. Perfect. I don't care if Monday's blue. 
That's The Cure, Friday, I'm in love. Simon Ridges, thank you very much. In particular, thank you for finding a play playlist choice, even though we gave you no forewarning. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks very much, guys. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Friday, the 1st of May. I'm Adam Dudding. He's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Simon Bridges, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crudson, and Carol Hirschfeld. That is another week done. Heck, whole other month flew by even. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email viruspod at stuff.co.nz. And if you want to directly support Stuff's journalism, the company's recently set up a system where you can make a financial contribution via a link on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz. There's something to do on the weekend. Alivida. Alivida.